Hey ladies, just a heads up. This episode of the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast touches on the Holocaust and the topic of suicide beginning at about 42 minutes. You are a loved and redeemed child of God and you are not alone. If you're struggling and need to speak with someone right away, call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Jesus loves you. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. Hold on, I'm going to (laughs) sneeze. And there's your outtake. (laughs) Come on! <laughs> when you announce it, it, it you gotta it, look at a light. It. It's not working. <laughs> Just, I'm Bree, and I'm right. Ra- <laughs> we need to start over. Yeah, sorry. We're gonna start over. <laughs> okay. to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. It is the season of Advent, which I'm super excited for. I think I forget every year how awesome Advent is. I get so caught up in all the rest of the church here, and then you get to the dark days of November and Mm. December, and you're like, oh, right, Advent is awesome. So (laughs) we're talking about hymns today. It is a Hymn Sing with Sarah episode. There's so much to talk about. I have lots of notes. It's going to be fantastic. Hopefully, I'll learn something even if I talk about a hymn that you don't like, which I probably will. So first, before I dig into all of these things that I want to talk about, I would like to know, ladies, what your favorite Advent hymns are. So, Bree, What up? What is your favorite Advent hymn? My favorite Advent hymn... Okay, so I'm just... I know we're going to talk about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I... Love that hymn with my whole heart, but I'm going to like branch out and do LSB, what is it? 338, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. It's short. It's sweet. I love good Wesleyan hymn. And I really, (laughs) I love it because in two verses, it's able to encapsulate sort of like thinking about Jesus coming the first time to save us. But even now, when while we wait for Christmas, like we wait for the second coming to, to have him sort of complete everything that he set out to do. And I like the tune. And it's just, it is a fun it's movie. a good one. It's a classic. It's from Southern Harmony, which is probably like the best collection of hymn tunes ever. Yeah. But it's in 700 hymnals. Like they can't yeah. all be wrong. <laughs> that is a great one. Mm. <sighs> okay. Rachel. Okay. I'll just say it that th- I was late to the Advent hymns party when I was a younger, less wise person. I was very much on team. We can sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel once, but after that, let's really just do Christmas songs in December. <laughs> That's but cold, Rachel. I have grown into Advent hymns. I started actually paying attention to them and realizing 
uh, we probably should sing Advent hymns in Advent as much as possible. I mean, sure, mix in a few Christmas hymns. It's coming. It's coming. But there's some really good hymns. And one of the ones hymns that helped me change my mind was Georg Weisel's hymn text, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates, mm. Lutheran Service Book 341. I always thought of Advent hymns as kind of stodgy. <laughs> but this one dances, the August Lemke tune, just like you could sashay into church with this hymn. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates, behold. And it just, it, it's, it is a song of joy that it's time. He's been saying he's coming and we've been waiting for so long, but now it's go time. And it also does a wonderful shows what our response to this news should be stanza four i love fling wide the portals of your heart make it a temple set apart from earthly use for heaven's employ adorned with prayer and love and joy so shall your sovereign enter in and new and nobler life begin to god alone be praised for word and deed and grace and i just think that that is the christian response to advent to the the news that christ is coming so i I like the way that hymn sort of refocuses me on on all that advent is and means advent hymns yay (laughs) there is so much joy in that one and you're right it does dance which is fun okay erin what's yours my favorite is actually one that was newer to me. So I did grow up with all the Advent hymns and loved them. And so when the when the new hymnal came out, LSB, it's been like, what, almost 20 years now. Wow. <laughs> oh, right? It, I mean, it's been a long time since this wow. has been out. Uh, maybe not quite 20, but it's... Uh, it's I there. think I was actually expecting my son when we were launching the new hymnal at our vicarage church. So, so what does that mean? 14 years, give okay, or take. 2005. It's, yeah. it's into its second decade. So yeah, 15, 15 yeah. years, it's moving right along. That's great, though. Wow. We'll always be able to keep track of how old it is by knowing mm-hmm. how old Christian is. So <laughs> um, the one that I liked, I liked it because it was new to me. Like it wasn't one that I had heard my whole life. And because you go to Advent services and you've got them both on Wednesday nights and Sundays and you sort of burn through all those hymns and you do them year after year. It's nice to have a refreshing change. And so I have fallen in love with the angel Gabriel from heaven came And like the other three, it has a delightful tune. It's unexpected because I think it's French or it's Basque. 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 Oh, I love a Basque tune. It's It's wonderful. Like half of my favorite Christmas carols are Basque tunes. So here we go in Advent. Who knew? Yes. They are. It's a delightful little, again, a lilty tune. And it tells a simple story. It's not, it's not blowing you away with deep theology. It's retelling the story of the angel Gabriel, It's which is solid and wonderful. And so I love it. I love it. It is a fun one. And yes, the whole the whole yeah. song is Basque, which is super fun. Oh, it's there's one a lot of, the of history there. Advent hymns in the hymnal that would be perfectly at home on a Celtic woman CD. <laughs> mm. And True. if Sting sings it, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Probably great too. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. He can't yeah. be wrong. No. Yeah. So all all three of you touched on the fact that a, a lot of our Advent hymnody is full of anticipation, and rightly so, since that's this season of Advent, we are anticipating the coming of Christ. But they also have all of these really great themes and uh, fulfilling of prophecies, and there's joy in so many of them mm-hmm. because of what we're looking forward to. And I think that's probably why, maybe even more so this year, the texts and these tunes are are really bringing a lot of life into <laughs> to me. <laughs> you are not of- wrong, sister. <laughs> this is the year when we are all anticipating something better. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> this is the year where Jesus probably like at least twice a day since <laughs> yes. Like- this is like the year for Advent to shine for everyone. So yes. if you have never celebrated Advent before, do it. We all need this season right now. He is getting her due recognition right now. <laughs> and as usual, before I get too far, I do want to give a shout out to Concordia Publishing House, the Lutheran Service Book Companion to the Hymnal. I use this for every episode of these hymn podcast. So if you enjoy what you hear, or if you're just like a super nerd and want to know more about the hymns and also all of the people that were involved in all of the hymnody, it is not too late to put it on your Christmas list for this year. Make sure you get your hands on one. Totally, totally worth it. So most of our Advent hymnody covers three like pretty big themes. Obviously, the anticipation of the incarnation of Christ in the flesh at Christmas. That's the big obvious one. And there's also Christ among us ruling from the right hand of the Father and in bodily presence in the sacrament that shows up in quite a few places as well. And awaiting Christ's second coming, the, this eschatological theme that, that we get a lot in Advent, also that bridges the end of the church year into Advent. There's this kind of crossover of that theme. There is one hymn in the hymnal that brings all of these together in a really nice way. Lutheran Service Book 333, Once He Came in Blessing. And I wouldn't put this probably in my top three favorite Advent hymns, but it is really cool that this kind of, in a nutshell, gets you all three of those Advent themes in a really concise way. With all of these themes, we have anticipation, we have praying for Christ to come soon, which we might be doing a little bit more fervently right now, (laughs) fulfilling prophecies. There's so many hymns with with Isaiah prophecies in them, and they're beautiful, like comfort, comfort you, my people, of our salvation in Christ, the coming glory of Christ at Judgment Day, all of these things. There's so many of these really big themes packed into all of this hymnody, and they're just super great to sing about. And we have like what three and a half weeks to jam all these into our church year so you gotta like you gotta sing sing through all of them ladies all of them all of them (laughs) so as usual with these hymnity podcasts there is a poll in the ladies lounge facebook group to see what hymns plural all of you enjoy and i will never ask you for your favorite one hymn except for the three of you i just did that um I gave two. I gave two. <laughs> because I know everyone loves hymns and many people check all of the boxes and that's totally fine. There was a lot of really good discussion with this one too. I think we just kind of don't talk about Advent hymns nearly as much as maybe Christmas and Easter because those are like the massive festivals with all of this hymnody. So O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, clearly the top favorite. Like I almost should have not even put that one on the poll to get even better science, but it's there. (laughs) Totally skewed the results. As of yesterday, it had 700 votes, which is just like massive. But everybody knows this one. We always sing it every Advent. 
like from the time we're little babies, <laughs> we all sing this one because it's just, it's good. And I will dig into that one a little bit more in a minute. Coming in at a very distant second with 287 votes was uh, <laughs> Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, which isn't even listed in the Advent that's section. The, yeah, so that surprised me because it's not, it's not it, it, technically, it's, a, it's a communion hymn in our hymnal. It is. Yes. But it does For good work reason. with those Advent themes. Right. And I will talk about this one in a minute too. But someone actually commented like, oh, what about Little Mortal Flesh? Like, I love this one. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So I actually added it to the poll after the fact. Uh, and it still ended up caught up at the top. It's a so good one. People love that one, which is for good reason too. It's a great one. And I will talk about that one as well in a minute. Rounding out the top three is Savior of the Nations Come. With 235 votes, those were those were close, and I'm I'm gonna give you the the rest of the top 11 because I, I have to get the 11th place one in there too. So the rest of of the top 11, hark the glad sound, come thou long expected Jesus, lift up your heads ye mighty gates, wake Woo-hoo. awake for night is flying, which is more end of the church here, but that's okay. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, which is one of my favorites too. So good. On Jordan's bank, the Baptists cry. Mm. The angel Gabriel from heaven came. And comfort, comfort ye, my people, came in at 11, and I had to get that one in, too. What is it? This one goes to 11. Uh, <laughs> little reference there. Nice. So all of our top favorites of the three of you all showed up in that list, which is cool. Here's a Lutheran joke for you. Which of these hymns is the unofficial hymn of the day for the commemoration of Pastor Leia? Oh, I don't think I know that. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Oh, uh, <laughs> comes with. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Loa is it's spelled L O H E, right? Yeah, L O L O E H E is the way we usually spell it. It's a German American. It's a German. It's a German. Sorry, I don't get it. Yeah. Also Very funny that I haven't sneezed yet. <laughs> yeah, Le- Leia and Lohi are almost identical spellings, so that's Not really it. funny. Ah! So what, I- Good. <laughs> <laughs> what I noticed about all of these hymns is that uh, they are probably the most commonly sung, I would guess. I mean, at least in my church, the churches I've been a member of, these are the ones that you just, you always sing every year. And there's another list of ones that are really fantastic, but don't really get sung as much. Mm -hmm. Some of them are newer and they weren't in TLH, which could be why they're a little bit less known because they're a little bit more modern. Those are some of my favorites. I tend to be a little rebellious in some of my hymn choices and that I really like the ones that are more recent because I didn't grow up with them. (laughs) Him rebel. Hashtag. Him rebel. So I do want to give a shout out to a few of the, the lesser known ones, maybe. Oh, Lord, how shall I meet you is my top favorite Advent hymn. I actually have one because it's a hair heart. You I know. have one? Well, it's at the top of my list. Favorite? <laughs> Today she does. Wow. Ask right. Top tomorrow. of my list. <laughs> Ask her in five minutes. <laughs> It's a Gerhardt hymn. I love Gerhardt. There's no surprise that he's my favorite hymn writer. So this hymn is beautiful. It's a Gerhardt text. It's wonderful. I love one stanza in particular, and I think I probably write it a million times every Advent. Love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. A love beyond all telling that led you to embrace in love, all love excelling our Mm. lost and fallen race. It's just, I mean... It's that's beautiful. So mm-hmm. Granted, that's the English translation of his German, but it's still 
amazing. Yeah. Second on my list of favorites is a Starkey hymn. Also, should not be surprising. <laughs> my second favorite hymn writer. Um, <laughs> what Hope and Eden Prophesied. Uh, it tells the whole story of salvation. I love this text. You know, starts in the Garden of, of Eden, runs through the story of salvation. Really cool. And he is so too. good at that. Like, so how can you I get know. like ten thousands of years of God's story of salvation into seven rhymed stanzas? I don't know four. how, but it's four stanzas. Four rhyme stanzas. It's, a, it's yeah, yeah. And they're short stanzas. Oh my goodness. I know. It's so great. So I, I highly recommend that one for one of your devotional reads. Yeah, he just okay. jam he's brilliant, jam-packed stuff in there. Creator of the Stars of Night. I don't think this one gets sung very much. I also don't think I realized this was an Advent hymn until I really started digging into these. It's a super ancient chant hymn. I love chant hymns. It's just beautiful. The Night Will Soon Be Ending was one that one uh, uh, someone in the lounge group actually mentioned as one that was perfect for right now, which mm. is why I will also talk about that one in a little bit. But that one, I, I mean, I, I kind of know it, but I don't really sing it that much. But after today, I will be singing that one more because it's if you read the text, it's very, very powerful. So I can't obviously list all of them. There's a lot of them. But I will actually suggest that you use maybe use your hymnal for advent devotions this year i know we're like halfway through advent at this point so it might be a little late for this this year or not there it's a small section of of, four of us we get this early reminder (laughs) (laughs) there's a there's a, a nice collection of advent hymnody that you could actually use these for your advent devotions uh if you read two a night or two a day from now until christmas i think you'd actually get them all in and that wouldn't be that hard to do. But it's it's such a good reminder of all of this, of all of our beliefs about Advent and the coming of Christ and all of these really, really great things. So here we go. The first time we're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about, <laughs> is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And there was some discussion in the lounge about this one being overused mm-hmm. and just kind of like being like, why do we have to sing this every year? And I can kind of understand that because it is one that gets sung a lot all the time but there is good reason for that it's old there's a bazillion scripture references in this it is a beautiful one and it's one that would be fun for kids to learn too because of the chorus that comes back that you can you can sing this with your family i remember singing this as a kid and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if like the nostalgia factor is is it for me yeah the amazing strength of this song is that we do oversing it both in Advent and in Christmas, and more of us don't get tired of it than we do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I have sung this so many times. There have been seasons where we sang it every week in Advent, mm-hmm. and yep. yet I still love it. Um, like sermon I can't series think of, even? I can't think of many hymns that could bear that kind of repeated exposure with as much mm-hmm. grace as this one does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the our LCMS Advent uh, devotions this year are based off of this one, too. So we're like, I'm giving it to are. people again. <laughs> Here, <laughs> use it as your devotion. But it works so well. And the whole point of, of this one with the great O antiphons that it's based off of, it literally is supposed to be sung in the seven days leading up to, Christ- or leading up to Christmas Eve. Like, that's the whole point of it. So it makes sense to do it every year. So the Roman church has been singing the great O Antiphon since at least the 8th century. So this is a a nice ancient one. I love ancient hymnody. Mm. Um, So this is something that the church has been singing for a really long time. 
Oh, antiphons accompany the Magnificat at Vespers during the seven days preceding Christmas Eve. So that would be December 17 through 23, which when this podcast drops will be next week. <laughs> Each of these antiphons uses a name for Christ that we find in the Old Testament. So December 17 is O Sapientia, which is O Wisdom, and that's from Proverbs 8. Paul later identifies Christ as the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians, and this antiphon also speaks to Christ's role in creation. So this O antiphon says, O wisdom proceeding from the mouth of the Most High, pervading and permeating all creation, mightily ordering all things, come and teach us the way of prudence. I also just love how the O antiphons are written. They're like this brilliant poetry. December 18th is O Adonai, which is O Lord, and that comes from Exodus and the pre-incarnate Christ who appears to the Israelites, and that one is, O Adonai and ruler of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai, come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. December 19 is O Radix Jesse, which is O Root of Jesse, and that comes from Isaiah 11, verse 10, saying that Jesus is the kingly offspring of Jesse's line. And that one reads, O root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nations will do homage, come quickly to deliver us. December 20 is O Clavis David, O key of David, which comes from Isaiah 22, verse 22. And most of the antiphon actually comes from Revelation 3, verse 7, about the one who has the true key to open and close heaven's door. So that one reads, O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can close, you close and no one can open. Come and rescue the prisoners who are in darkness and the shadow of death. December 21st is O Oriens, which is O Day Spring. I like this one, which is from the Benedictus uh, Zechariah song in Luke 1, 78 to 79, and also references Isaiah. There's a whole bunch of Isaiah during Advent, which I love. Hmm, that one reads, O day spring, splendor of light everlasting, come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I'm pretty sure that's my favorite one. Is it weird to have a favorite great O antiphon? Not if you're Sarah Gelseth. Because <laughs> I totally do. Um, December 22 is O Rex Gentium, which is O King of the Nations. And that comes from Haggai 2 verse 7, mm. that Christ is the King of all peoples. So that one is, O king of the nations, the ruler they long for, the cornerstone uniting all people, come and save us all whom you formed out of clay. And then the last one we have is, O Emmanuel, of course, for December 23rd, mm -hmm. which is, O God be with us. And that comes from the messianic interpretation of Isaiah 714, found in Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that one reads, O Emmanuel, our King and our Lord, the anointed for the nations and their Savior, come and save us, O Lord our God. So there's so much scripture and prophecy and all of this stuff that's jam-packed into this hymn, which I think is what makes it just super cool to remember all of that every year during Advent and to meditate on all of these verses and, and where Christ is present through the whole Old Testament and all of these prophecies that are fulfilled about him. There's just so much there. So these antiphons use these divine titles and then an explanation of the characteristics of Jesus and then implore him to come, which is what we're doing through this whole season of Advent. The hymn is a little bit backwards with the, the um, O Emmanuel 
coming first, which I've always thought is a little funny because when we sing this in accordance with the O antiphons, if you're using it like that, you always end up singing the first stanza last, but whatever. Mm. (laughs) The refrain is a confession that Christ was with the Old Testament people, was born in Bethlehem to save us from our sin and will come again in glory. So a little tidbit of history in medieval times, the number of antiphons actually was varied. There weren't always just seven. In the chant book for the Lutheran Cathedral in Magdeburg in 1613, there's actually 12 antiphons. The additional ones were O Virgo Virginum, O Virgin of Virgins, O Gabriel, O Rex Pacifice, O Peaceable King, O Mater Domine, O Mother of the Lord, and O Jerusalem. If you take the first letters of the seven antiphons backwards, it makes the acrostic arrow cross, which means tomorrow I will come. And so the last antiphon on December 23rd is the news of Christ's birth revealed in its fullness right before Christmas. So that it's kind of cool for the day before Christmas Eve. Five of the versified stanzas that we have uh, were published in a Catholic hymnal in Cologne, in 1710 and then translated into English and published in the mid-1800s. Stanzas 2 and 7 were added later by the Committee for the American Episcopal Church of 1943, which is hymnal 1940, if you have a hymnal shelf in your house, (laughs) 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 to have all seven great O antiphons represented. Our seven stanzas are the versified stanzas of the seven great O antiphons, which connect us to so many places in scripture that teach us about Christ. So yes, we sing it a lot, but we have a very good reason for singing it a lot. Now the tune that we use was first printed in 1856 in the Hymnal Noted, edited by medievalist and Anglo-Catholic priest John Mason Neal. Neil spent extensive time in Portugal, first for health reasons and then for research in libraries and churches. In 1853, he was in Lisbon and discovered a sequence. Sequences have come up before. He discovered a sequence uh, that was supposedly lost to the tune of Veni Emmanuel, which was in the same manuscript as this sequence. Other manuscripts state this tune to the early 16th century, and all three of the manuscripts were this tune was associated with the convents of the Franciscan Order of Poor Clares in France. So Neil actually took a trope, which, according to Merriam-Webster, is a phrase or verse added as an embellishment or interpolation to the sung parts of the Mass in the Middle Ages. So he took a trope from their funeral chant and set it to his translation of the Catholic versification of the O antiphons. So that's where the tune for this comes from. So there's... A lot of history to this, some kind of kind of cool uh, connections to the ancient church and to the church in other parts of Europe. And I know it's a favorite for a lot of people for a very good reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will sing it again this year with gusto. Exactly. Yes. Well, and, and I mean, starting next week, we could all do the antiphons for every night leading up to Christmas Eve and use it as it was historically written to be used, which would be mm. kind of fun. All right, the next one, which is not even in the Advent section of our hymnal, is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And I love this one. I don't think I realized how old this one was until I was actually doing a Facebook post for KFUO a couple of weeks ago. 
And this was the the hymn that we were singing in chapel. So I made it for our Facebook post. And when I write up the little descriptions that go along with them, sometimes I pull stuff out of the footnotes and stuff. And I was like, holy moly, this one's old. It's from the Liturgy of St. James from the 5th century from France. Cool. So I got a little nerdy on that one. I love the Liturgy of St. James. I'm going to get a little nerdy on that too. Yes. Our history. Our <laughs> Uh, interests coincide on this one also you're gonna get to this i love this hymn very much i would have voted for it except i don't think of it as an advent hymn i know but this is the hymn that is the absolute most climactic moment of the concordia university ann arbor boar's head festival every year everybody's at the front good king wenceslas has arrived the three kings with all their pages all the lords and ladies everyone's at the front and at the final alleluia lord most high the entire cast has their arms raised in the air fortissimo chapel is ringing and it's just it's an amazing and to an amazing experience. And I'm really sad that there's no Boar's Head Festival this year. Stupid COVID. Maybe next right. year we'll be able to get, get back to it. But it's a wonderful memory for anyone who went to Concordia Ann Arbor. And I imagine that there was probably a strong Concordia Ann Arbor contingent among the voting populace on this poll. <laughs> Call it a hunch. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, now you may be Miss Boar's Head. I love Boar's Heads. Oh, all like the things. The lunch meat. <laughs> and I, I'm, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I feel like maybe the setting we used for it was a Holst setting. Oh, now I'm gonna. Do, so don't quote me on that. But oh, like, boy. what makes a good hymn even better? <laughs> Holst would definitely do that. Do you want to explain what a Boar's Head Festival is, so people don't think we're talking about a festival about lunch meat? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. A boys said festival is a sort of a traditional Christmas pageant that not only brings in the story from the the Luke and Matthew mer- narratives but also pays homage to the medieval celebration traditions that grew up around it. So you have, you know, medieval garbed lords and ladies coming in. There's usually a Yule log. There's some, Hmm. you know, just a whole lot of pageantry. At one point, the wassailers come along and hustle everybody for money. Uh, (laughs) That's the free (laughs) will offering. (laughs) Like a serious, like, we should do this for a future episode. We should devote an episode to the Boar's Head Festival because we should. It is not something I'm familiar with. That is, we not, totally I never was until I anything like that until I was a freshman at Ann Arbor, and the Boar's Head audition sign-up sheet went up, and everyone who was familiar with it went gaga, and I was going around going, "What?" There's a I thought Boar's it was because I've heard of it before, and I thought it was like a sandwich eating contest. <laughs> I was like, I should do that one day. The the title comes from the old tradition of a, a boar's head was the fanciest possible Christmas dinner you could have. Forget the mm. ham, forget the turkey. If you have a whole roasted boar's head with like apple in the mouth and everything, that's what you want to trot out on Christmas Day. And there's a whole carol that sort of imagines. Not like the whole pig? Like only the head? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, everyone might eat the pig, but the king got the head. Oh, okay, okay. Like, that's <laughs> the, the 
Okay, I'm with you now. I'm with and you now. There's a whole we're getting so off topic here. I but there's a, there's a boar's head carol that is <laughs> imagines the boar the hunt for the wild boar as an allegory for Christ conquering evil. And it's just wonderful. So it is um, so great. Let all, mortal, let all mortal flesh keep silence for me is really bound up with those very special nostalgic memories. So I have no trouble seeing it on this list and very high up. That is awesome. I literally just went to our podcast topics list and put that on there for next year. So <laughs> yes, we will have to do an episode on that because there is a lot of history behind it and it is really fun. And I w- didn't know about it until after I graduated college and actually was in one. So anyway, anyway, we are so far off into the weeds. Keep moving, um, girl. Keep coming it moving. back, bringing it back to let all mortal flesh keep silence. So this is in the Lord's Supper section of the hymnal for good historical reason because it's literally part of the Lord's Supper celebration in Liturgy of St. James. I love the history of this one. Anything that has to do with some good rich church history is just really great. So it's a translation of the cherubic hymn in the Liturgy of St. James, James the Less, the first bishop of Jerusalem. And it's still in use by some Orthodox churches, uh, mostly by the Syriac Orthodox Church. They're really the only ones that do it consistently, the full liturgy. The liturgy that's still used is from about 8400. So this is really old and awesome. It's the oldest complete liturgy for the Eastern Christian churches. And the full liturgy takes several hours to complete. And if you've ever been to an Orthodox church, a several hour long service is not anything out of the ordinary. It's just It just takes a long time to do all the liturgy. And it's beautiful and ornate. And you have all this stuff going on and incense and artwork. And it's, it is a really cool thing to experience. So this cherubic hymn is a troparian, which is, according to Orthodox Wiki, is a type of hymn in Byzantine music in the Orthodox Church and other Eastern Christian churches that is a short hymn of one stanza or one of a series of stanzas. Uh, This may carry the further connotation of a hymn interpolated between psalm verses. So it's sung during the great entrance when the gifts of bread and wine for the Eucharist are carried into the sanctuary. So this is a pretty high point of the, of the, the liturgy. This form of the cherubic hymn replaces the standard form on Holy Saturday in the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, which is used in Eastern Orthodox churches. So the liturgy of St. John is, is maybe a little bit more widely used. It's another one of the divine liturgies in the Orthodox church. Our English translation is from Gerard Moultrie published in 1864, using language from an 1859 translation of the entire Divine Liturgy of St. James by none other than John Mason Neal. He shows up twice in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Invent him. (laughs) (laughs) Neal's translation is, Let all mortal flesh keep silence and stand with fear and trembling and ponder nothing earthly in itself. For the King of kings and Lord of lords, Christ our God cometh forward to be sacrificed and to be given for food to the faithful. And he is preceded by the choirs of the angels with every domination and power, the many-eyed cherubim and the six-winged seraphim that cover their faces and vociferate the hymn, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. So our hymn is pretty close to, to the English translation of that cherubic hymn. So it makes total sense that this hymn is in the Lord's Supper section of our hymnal because it is literally part of the communion liturgy in the liturgy of St. James. But it's also a really beautiful eschatological text about the end times. So it does show up appropriately 
during Advent and the end of the church year, which is why a lot of us associate it with Advent, because that's the time of the year that we typically sing it. Not always during the divine service. I know Lessons and Carols at Concordia Chicago. I think we sing this one probably every year. Just it shows up a bunch during Advent because of that. The tune is French. So, of course, I love it. I love anything French. Let's be honest. It's a French folk song. which was published first in Paris in 1860, originating from Picardy. The folk song story itself, though, the original folk song is really wild, as it most of these old folk songs are just, they're very interesting in our modern standards. A beggar begs for the crumbs under a rich man's table, pointing out that Jesus was poor, too. The rich man says that he only deserves the crumbs because the beggar brings him nothing. The beggar then appeals to the woman of the house who offers the beggar in for supper and a place to sleep. And then in the last stanza, the the beggar or the poet says, in three days you will die and go to paradise and your husband, madam, will burn in hell. So that's the original folk song. (laughs) Very interesting. (laughs) We sing what I would think is is a much better text to this hymn. (laughs) I just had to tell you that because it was... I think I might have squealed a bit when I read that. In. <laughs> I am very glad I know that now. And I'm telling you, man, the hymnal companion, full of stuff. It is fantastic. Anyway, so since John Mason Neal showed up in both of these, I decided I should probably tell you a little bit about him because I keep name dropping him. And that was not planned. I just, he just keeps coming up. And That is for good reason, because he might be one of, if not the most important Anglican hymn writer, which is a big claim. We've talked about this in previous podcasts, that the 1800s was a time of huge gains in English hymnody with lots of translations happening from Greek, Latin, and German texts. I mean, this is when Catherine Winkworth was working, too. So this time was a huge amount of English language hymnody. So Neil was born on January 24th, 1818 in London and was raised in an Anglican home of evangelical persuasion. He loved reading and ancient languages and he was translating things at like hard stuff at the age of 14. So he was a brilliant guy. He began Trinity College, Cambridge in 1836 and was a brilliant student winning awards for sacred poetry. And he also co-founded the Cambridge Camden Society. He was ordained a deacon in 1841 and a priest in 1842, and he also married Sarah Norman Webster in 1842, and they had five kids. He was sick most of his adult life with lung disease, Mm. which explains his trips from London to Portugal. A lot of people um, took vacations in the warmer climates of Europe at that time to get over their illnesses because weather in England is not always very fun, I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) He was also under a a lot of suspicion because of his Tractarian tendencies, and that meant that he wanted to bring medieval church practices back to the Anglican church because the Anglican church was too plain. Because of these things, he was reassigned and suspended several times, so he didn't have that great of a career (laughs) because of his beliefs. From 1846 until his death, he was the administrator of Sackville College in East Grinstead, which actually gave him time for his real scholarly and literary interests in hymnology and liturgiology, which I did not know was a word until yesterday. And he actually probably coined both of those terms in English. That's like, that's how cool of a guy he was. I would, 
I want to be besties with this guy. Like, seriously. (laughs) Some people say he could read, write, and think in 20 languages. He was, I mean, genius guy. He brought more than 200 texts from Greek and Latin into English. So we owe a lot of our English hymnody to him, which is pretty awesome. He died at East Grinstead in 1866 at age 48. He was not that old after being sick for a long time. And he left behind a massive amount of writing. So, oh, you guys, I just turned 40 this year. And now I'm like, what have I done with my life? (laughs) (laughs) You haven't written 200 hymns? Yeah. Yeah. I got to get cracking. He was like, he was not that old. I'm like. That's right. He was not that old. <laughs> Forty-eight. <laughs> not that old. I mean, he started translating at age fourteen, though. So that I mean, is a, that is quite a career. We're all behind the eight ball. Let's all of face us. It. Yeah. Let's let's be honest. So yeah, let all mortal flesh keep silence. One of the great ones, and we all should sing it. I have one more to tell you about, and I did uh, warn you all preemptively to grab your tissues, so I will also give our ladies in the ladies' lounge the preemptive, this story does not have a happy ending. But I want to tell it anyway, because the the history behind this hymn makes it even more of a hymn that we should sing during Advent. So this is The Night Will Soon Be Ending, Lutheran Service Book 337, which I was not planning on talking about until someone brought it up in the lounge that the text is really super duper appropriate for, I mean, for Advent in general and for, you know, the trials of Christian life in general. But this year when we're we're dealing with a lot of stuff, the text is even more appropriate, I think, right now. Oh, well, yeah. And I had never paid attention to this until you brought it up a few minutes ago. But I look at it now and I'm like, for all of us who struggle with seasonal affective disorder, this is our jam. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, like, I need to like write this one out and put it on my wall. It's that good of a text. And I don't think I never paid attention to it before. So thank you, ladies in the ladies lounge for bringing this hymn to my attention that it's a great one that we should actually be singing like every day. So this line from the first stanza, all you whom darkness frightens with guilt or grief or pain, God's radiant star now brightens and bids you sing again. And from stanza goes down at 4 45 in the evening right it's, it's dark okay. now outside <laughs> it doesn't last forever right and then from stanza three the earth in sure rotation will bring will soon bring morning bright so run where god's salvation glows in a stable's light mm-hmm. run oh. to the manger ladies mm-hmm. and or the altar for the lord's supper hopefully you can during covid because that's where the sorry i'm pounding my desk right now <laughs> That's where we get Jesus. Ah, We need more of that right now. So this hymn was written on December 18th, 1937, which is a very specific date, by Jochen Klepper. And he has a heartbreaking story. Klepper was born Joachim Georg Wilhelm Klepper on March 22nd, 1903 in Buthen, under order Silesia, which is now Bytom Odransky, Poland. He was the son of a Lutheran pastor and studied with his father before he went to the gymnasium at Glogau and then the University of Erlangen. He studied theology for a year before he transferred to the University of Breslau 
to begin doctoral work in church history. So he was a smart guy and he really liked theology and the church and Lutheran stuff. He dropped out in 1926 because of his severe asthma, another person with health problems. It seems to be a theme among a lot of hymn writers, and went to work with a publisher and then study, and then as a journalist in Breslau. For some historical context to this story, think for a minute about late 20s, early 30s, Poland and Germany. Mm. A lot of influential mm -hmm. and horrible things <laughs> happening at this point in history. And Klepper and his family were not immune to this. So he married Johanna Stein in a civil ceremony in 1931, and they moved to Berlin, where he worked in radio, which is, I think that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> the Nazis came to power in 1933, and that was bad news for the Kleppers. His wife had two children from a previous marriage named Brigitte and Renata, and she was Jewish, which means that her kids were also Jewish. Wow. And Klepper was briefly associated with the Social Democratic Party, which was a Marxist party. And the Nazis made that party disappear when they came to power. So he was fired from his job in 1933. After this time, he published a collection of hymns called Kyrie Geistliche Lieder in 1938 in Berlin, which is where this hymn, The Night Will Soon Be Ending, was published. So think about that text, this text Ooh. in context of living with a Jewish wife and kids in Nazi Germany. That is some powerful stuff right there. It's subversive. Like yeah. people got killed for less than implying that Nazi Germany was a night that would soon be ending. Right. I'm getting chills right now. In 1938, he was approached by the Confessing Church in Germany, a group that believed that the German Christians were corrupt. So I had to research this church history a bit, but there's a lot of a religious history at the beginning of the Nazi regime that I highly commend all of you to read and research because it's very interesting German church history that I can't put in this because we'd be here for hours because I kept finding more rabbit holes. But I will tell you that the short version is that the German Christians were a group within the German evangelical church from 1932 to 1945 that aligned with the Nazi party's ideals of anti-Semitism and racism and wanted all of the German Protestant churches to align with these ideals. Obviously not a good thing, right? They had rallies with swastika banners proclaiming the unity of National Socialism and Christianity, and their emblem is a cross inside of a swastika, which is really disturbing. And they wanted to do things like remove the Old Testament from the Bible. Really not great stuff. Mm. The Confessing Church came out of the schism in 1934 that this German Christian movement had caused. They were opposed to the unification of churches under the Nazi political party, but their resistance was more skewed for ecclesiastical reasons rather than a full-out rejection of the Nazi party. But there's, there's a lot of history and a lot of nuance behind all of this, so go research this. It's really horribly interesting stuff. So Klepper rejected the German Christians in their opposition to the gospel, but he also came to reject the confessing church as being too doctrinally rigid and too political because it was really, it was a, a reaction to the German Christian group rather than claiming gospel. They were rejecting the ecclesiastical ordering of things under the Nazi party. And that would harm the, the people's church, the Volkskirche. So that really didn't play in his favor either. 
Klepper wrote fictional novels in addition to his hymnody, and his historical novel on the Prussian soldier king Friedrich Wilhelm I was actually really popular among German military officers, which is kind of an interesting tidbit. When he died, he was also working on a historical novel of Katharina von Bora and the first Lutheran parsonage. I would have wanted to read that. I'm so Why sad couldn't that... he finish that? Well, that's a really sad answer, actually. I'll get okay. to that in a minute. So this is where it gets really complicated. Klepper's wife was baptized in 1938, and they had a church wedding. And I'm guessing, I'm hoping that this was partially, you know, because she wanted to be Lutheran or had been Lutheran up to this point anyway. But I'm guessing it's also partially for political reasons, because a Jew baptized into the Lutheran church hopefully would have given her some protection from all of the this Nazi stuff going on. World War II started on September 1st, 1939, when Hitler invaded Poland. So this was very soon after her baptism and their church wedding. Brigitte, their oldest daughter, managed to emigrate to England in 1939. So she escaped all of the horrible stuff that was going to happen. Renata was baptized in 1940. Klepper actually volunteered for military service in 1940, but he was released just nine months later because he was married to a Jew, even though she had been baptized and race laws in Germany did not distinguish this fact. And he shouldn't have actually been serving in the military in the first place because the rules for military service said that if you were married to a Jew, you couldn't serve in the military. So uh, I have so many emotions about all of this, but I'll continue. December 10th, 1942, they were visited by Adolf Eichmann, who might ring a bell for you as a really horrible person. He was one of the organizers of the Holocaust, or as the Nazis called it, the final solution to the Jewish question. <sighs> he arranged mass transportation of Jews to ghettos and extermination camps during the Nazi regime. He was eventually captured by Israel's Mossad and hanged for his crimes in 1960. So he was tried for these things. A visit from Adolf would not bear good news. He told them that Renata would be denied an exit visa to Switzerland. Can you imagine getting that news in 1942? So that evening, Joachim, his wife, and Renata committed suicide with their gas kitchen stove. And that is the part that is really horrible to put out there into podcast land. I can't begin to understand what that was like for them. And in 1942, this was what? halfway-ish through World War II roundabout, mm -hmm. and life would have probably just gotten worse and worse and worse for them because it did up until the end of the war for Jews and anyone that was associated with them or helping, helping them. So <sighs> Klepper's sister, Hildegard, published his journal in 1956 in German, and it's full of hope and scripture, even amidst all of the horrible things that they experienced. And she actually gave his journal from 1932 to 1942 to the Allied forces after the war to be used against Adolf Eichmann during his trial to convict him of war crimes. He wrote in this journal just before they died that tonight we die together. Over us stands in the last moments the image of the blessed Christ who surrounds us. With this view, we end our lives. Yeah. Despite taking their own lives, they believed firmly in the grace of Jesus and did not take this action lightly. So this is all of this context that this hymn comes out of. I mean, that is crazy powerful stuff. You are not kidding about the Kleenexes, Sarah. Oh! 
So the hymns that he wrote during his lifetime were very popular with German Protestants during World War II for good reason. I'm sure most of them knew his story because the German community or the Lutheran community has always been small. His text was one of the few modern hymns to be published in the 1950 Evangelisches Kirchengesangbuch for the German Protestant Church. And the hymn's text is from Romans 13, 11 through 12, which is part of the traditional epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent. And the text is appropriately Adventy and eschatological. And in addition, it draws from all of these nightmare scenarios that I'm sure he mm. had to live through during his life under the Nazi regime, uh, which makes it even more powerful. We should probably put out there right now that suicide is n not ever the way to go. <laughs> Like no, we don't want to, we don't want to glorify that action and the way their lives ended. But we do want to put out there that no matter how you die, you're saved by Christ's death on the cross for your sins. Mm -hmm. And well, and it, it honestly, it what we need to look at just how hopeless and helpless this situation must have been. Mm -hmm. Right, it's a terrible tragedy that yeah. the church lost this beautiful family because of people's hatred and bigotry and just an unmitigated tragedy. Mm. I don't know if in our modern day American culture we can associate anything with the kind of horror that they must have lived through or thought that they were going to have to live through to make that kind of choice. Yes, Rachel, you're right. Suicide is not the option that is encouraged for anyone there is always hope and there are always people to talk to and there is always christ for mm. you i don't even want to go on after that but i do have to also tell you that this <laughs> tune it's a traditional welsh melody from the early 1800s arranged by rafe von williams who is <laughs> at the top of my list of hymn arrangers which is also oh, why that we should just sing sing this hymn all the time. Amazing stuff. So Though I don't think I'm going to be able to sing it without crying now, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. But think of think of how think of how unbelievably terrible this year has been. Like think about it. And for some people it's been wor it's been worse than others. I I feel particularly blessed that we've emerged relatively unscathed from all of the bad things that have happened this year. But I think when we think of, of stories like this, like we can sing this song and sort of relate to that situation, but like it's all the more sweet because we're reminded that we're reminded of the goodness of Christ. And even as we wait for him now, we say come soon, Lord Jesus. And we can be confident that, that he will mm -hmm. there's always hope in christ he is always there and someday we're gonna join jochen klepper and his wife and his daughter renata mm. around the throne and sing the night is now finally over right right <laughs> the there's dawn has come in yeah. heaven and we're gonna sing it <laughs> there's gonna be a remix yes be like oh <laughs> the night's over guys Here's my new song. And it's never coming back. <laughs> right. It's never coming back. It ain't. Back. It's my sophomore album. <laughs> Night's gone. See ya. This, this whole conversation has reminded me of a beautiful quote 
from Martin Luther and Table Talk that came to me when I was help, uh, helping with a, a book recently that I'll hopefully be able to talk more about when it's out. But Luther talking around the table with his with his guys says, I don't share the opinion that suicides are certainly to be damned. My reason is that they do not wish to kill themselves, but are overcome by the power of the devil. They yeah. are like a man who is murdered in the woods by a robber. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, however, you shouldn't go telling people this because you don't want to encourage them. Right, right. <laughs> like, so, I mean, he was, he was Give a trigger a, warning before you say that. Yeah, he was definitely of, of mixed... He, he shared our view that you hate the tragedy, but you understand that salvation is in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Man, this is heavy, Sarah. Oh. I'm sorry. I had to Yay. end on something. But I think, I mean, even, even when life seems like it's not going to get better or there's no possible way it could get worse because it's so bad, there is still hope. And the night will end when Christ returns. And we look forward to that. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Let's Amen. all go sing Advent hymns. That's all I have for you. Is there a hymnal drop? Hymnal drop. Hymnal drop. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of our Lutheran lady author friends ought to seriously consider this story as a, uh, and if none of y'all do it, I may have to when my kids are all grown up because it's a story that needs to get out there mm-hmm. about a brother yeah. in Christ that I didn't know about until today. Right. Well, ladies, join the discussion in our Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook group. Join us there for all of the hymnity polls, talking about Advent, because Advent is amazing and we all really need it this year. Find all of our hymnsing podcasts, our recipes, our book clubs, all of these episodes at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. Happy Advent, everyone. Woo! Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Please. I'm getting out my Advent. I, I don't have an Advent wreath, but I'm going to make one this year. Yes. Do it. Yeah. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Aaron. I'm the angel Gab Brielle. <laughs> and I'm still sad. Oh, oh it's okay. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. Whew. I feel oh. like we need a collective hug after this one. Take a hug. Uh-huh. And, maybe, and maybe a stiff drink. Yes. Can I say that? Yes. Or a burrito. (laughs) Or a burrito. Or a a boar's head party sub. Or all of the above. (laughs) Christ has overcome. And he'll come again, and that's what we're all about.